welcome to Union Hall. Thank you. Um, this is Book Club, uh, a show where every month we read a book so you don't have to. But also, you're, you're allowed to, to have read it or to read it. There's no rule. Um, I'm Blythe Robertson. I'm uh, Colin Stokes. And uh, so our book this month is Nancy Drew, The Clue in the Diary. Yeah. Oh, can we get the projector on? Uh, yeah. Um, so this book is a Nancy Drew book, which are all basically the same plot, which is like Nancy's driving around in her car. It's um, convertible. A convertible car. Mm -hmm. Someone bumps into her and is rude. That person turns out to have committed a crime. Always. It's always There's no <laughs> normal car accident. <laughs> um, but we thought up top we would explain to you what the plot of this specific book is, just so we're all on the same page. Um, so pretty much at the beginning, Nancy and her friends see a house randomly explode. Um, <laughs> and then a suspicious character drops a diary that's written in Swedish. And then for like 100 pages, Nancy tries to like have this old, infirm Swedish man who runs a bakery, tries to have him translate this diary. Like, he's dying. He has a lot better stuff to do. She keeps on going to the bakery, and the, like, cashier's like, come back later. And he, that's he's in a hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but then when he gets to do it at the end, he is, is so into diaries, <laughs> it happens. He loves diaries. And they eventually find out that um, there's an old, like, a rich dude who, like, is an asshole and, like, steals money from inventors. Mm. Um, Which is kind of interesting because it's sort of very of the time. Do you guys know a lot of inventors? <laughs> there are at least 20 inventors in this book. It's like 80% of the characters are inventors. Um, so, yeah, they have the, the Swedish guy find out that this inventor was, like, the guy who was running away was good, and this rich guy was stealing money from him, and they exculpate the inventor, and they catch the rich guy. Uh, yeah. Um, so, oh, we're going to talk about Bess. Oh, yes. Um, so, I read these books when I was a little girl. How many of you guys in the audience read these books when you are growing up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I love them, and I, I'm glad I read them because, I mean, it, literacy is important. But there was something in these books <laughs> that, like, never struck me as fucked up until I grew older and learned about feminism, which is how they treat Bess, Nancy's fat friend. Um, like, okay, let me just read you. This is literally the beginning of this book. Chapter one. A penny for your thoughts, Nancy Drew, said George Fane. You've been staring into space for nearly two minutes. And missing all this good food, added blonde Bess Marvin. <laughs> the slightly plump pretty girl reached for a third sandwich. <laughs> Literally, the first two things you learn in this book are, it's about Nancy Drew, Bess is fat. <laughs> and it goes on for the whole book. She's like always sort of mid bite and like eating food <laughs> and begs not to have to look for clues until she's done eating deviled eggs. <laughs> um, whereas Nancy eats a late light supper. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's These, like, yeah. The books are like teaching young girls you should be adventurous, you should be polite, don't ever eat food. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and it's just like, it's not only food, for Bess, like, she gets made fun of because she 
wants to shampoo her hair. She's like, but I needed to wash my hair tonight. And Nancy's like, we have to look for clues. And at one point, Nancy's like, all right, we're all going to go look for clues. And Bess is like, I've already rescheduled my date with Jeff three times. And they don't care. Yeah, she really gets a hard time of it. Yeah. Um, speaking of dates, um, so Ned. Uh, Ned. Ned Nickerson. You guys know Ned. He's like one of the main characters in the book. He's like Nancy's maybe boyfriend. Yeah. Um, they are like, they're meant to be seeing each other. But in the book, it just seems like seeing each other is like, you, you just see the person <laughs> a bit more <laughs> than you wouldn't anybody else. It's just seeing someone. Literally, <laughs> in the book, they like run into each other, and then later he comes over to her house, and this is the book where they meet one another. So they've seen each other twice, and already the dad is like, interesting, Nancy, that you're so in love with Ned Nickerson, <laughs> because he came over to her house one time. <laughs> and also, like, it, they meet because they're both checking out a house that exploded that they have nothing to do with, which kind of makes sense. Like, that you would want to date another person who's interested in, like, obstructing justice. Mm -hmm. Vigilanteism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's also, he wears a college fraternity pin. Which is supposed to be hot, but for me, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> he's um, the villain of the story. <laughs> and he's really <laughs> strong. He pulls the bumper off of Nancy's car. And she's like, I'm into this, yeah. Yeah. And then there was an accident. It wasn't just random, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pull the bumper off. And at, like, the, at, at the end of the first chapter when they meet, he says, and I, wanna, I wrote this down so I could quote it, you girls haven't seen the last of me. I know the road to River Heights. Don't be surprised if I follow it one of these days. <laughs> and that's supposed to be hot. She likes... So. And he's in the books for the rest of the entire series. Yeah. Um, yeah, another thing that didn't really strike me about the books when I was young, but now it drives me crazy, is that Nancy doesn't have a job, doesn't go to school, spends all day solving mysteries that no one asked her to solve, which I just think is so, like, the best encapsulation I've ever heard of white privilege. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a sentence, the fireman barely succeeded in keeping the blaze from spreading to the outbuildings. And outbuildings are... Who is outbuildings? Who is so stressed about outbuildings catching on fire? Who gave her a car to drive around in all day? Yeah, it was yeah. Her, her lawyer dad. Yeah. That's the I had a whole bit about how I think Nancy would be a Nazi in four years, but I promised I wouldn't talk about it. Honestly. Well, because then I started saying Nazi Drew, and I, <laughs> I, I, I was really worried that I was going to say it by mistake, and so now we've got that out of other way. Yeah, but she's basically the police in these books. She's like, I guess I'll give the police the evidence I found if I decide this guy isn't trustworthy, and it's like you're a 16 year old or 18 year old who is holding grown men's lives in your hands. Mm. It's wild. Um, um, so one other iconic aspect of all of the books is these sort of drawings um, that are, uh, appear throughout the book. And um, they have captions normally. Most of them do. Um, but we thought it would be kind of a fun exercise to try and like recaption them. So um, we're going to do that. We got halfway through writing this bit, 
uh, at the New Yorker offices before we realized this is the New Yorker caption contest. Yeah, but not exact. It's different. <laughs> Slightly. Okay. Because I'm not judging it, I guess. Yeah. So here's the first one. Uh, here's our captions. Yeah. Um, hey, I was going to dig that shit up. <laughs> it's so interesting how he blends perfectly into the wall. Um, thank God I've got this lethal shovel. Hey, hey. we have matching shovels. Um, yes, that's right. Dig your own grave. <laughs> and then, welcome to Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Um, the next one. Uh, so this is the house on fire. So the first caption is, holy shit. Um... Then, uh, oh, hey, does that house look like it's on fire to you? Or <laughs> is it just the drawing? <laughs> uh, death to the rich. <laughs> um, my finger feels kind of warm. <laughs> Would it be crazy to drive the convertible through that burning house? Looks like the roof is about to go like this convertible. Because there's no room. Uh, looks like someone was having a heated discussion. <laughs> I took you here to show you what I do to my enemies. Uh, can you turn down that new Talking head song, Burning Down the House? <laughs> okay. Uh, so this one doesn't have a caption, but we sort of think that there could be one. Uh, get off my bumper, asshole. Um... If I slam on the brakes at the exact right time, I think I can get the window to cut his head off. <laughs> Does he realize this is a rickety wooden bridge floating on nothing? That one's a thinker, but look, it's not floating on anything. Right? Yeah. Um, I think, do you want to do the next one? Mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, there also was, this is class warfare. <laughs> Forgot about that. Um, okay. Stand back. I think this is Nancy speaking. Uh, stand back. Uh, I'm booting this woman in the face. Um, I know that veil is for mourning, but it makes you look like you're going to a masquerade party at a club in Midtown. Um, I know that the woman... Oh, oh this is Bess speaking. Yeah. This is Bess speaking. Yeah, Bess, right. Bess who is meant That's to be Bess. like... So the caption is, I know that this woman is upset, but can I take a moment to point out that I'm supposed to be fat, but we're all super thin? Um, that is not how you help someone out of a car. And then, oh, I know I shouldn't have looked at my phone so much in the car. I'm car sick. <laughs> Truth and comedy. Okay. Uh, how dare you say that about my suit? Uh, now we can't tell what movie we've seen him in, but maybe you can. Um, now did you get a good look at the person who cut your foot off? <laughs> <laughs> um, alright, so we're just simplifying these stories by letting Nancy Drew look at people and decide if they're good or bad. If they're good, they can date Nancy, but if they're bad, life in jail. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the plot of the books. Uh... And then, here, <laughs> here I've got him. And then, <laughs> wait a minute, my sandwich was on that chair. Oh, yeah. That's a Colin Stokes original. That was mine. I'm sorry I didn't get to say <laughs> it. Uh, all right. 
And then uh, this is a new one where Nancy's speaking. This is actually the guy who uh, does the diary translation. He's recently returned from hospital. <laughs> um, so the first one's, uh, yeah, it's a book called Nancy Drew. Ever heard of it? Uh, dope moleskin. Honestly, <laughs> those rolled cuffs and loafers are very fresh for someone your age. Uh, oh my God, did you know that you're balding? <laughs> and are those leopard print pants? You're crushing it so hard. Um, hey, so when did you get that painting of a boat? <laughs> um, are you awake? <laughs> and then finally, am I awake? <laughs> so those are our captions. Yes. Thank you so much for Thank you for that. indulging us. Um, yeah. So now, not only in book club do Colin and I talk about these books that we read, but we have some great comedians come out and talk about them or whatever they want to talk about. And our first comedian is so funny. He has a half hour on Comedy Central. Please give it up for Joe Zimmerman. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, how's everybody doing? <laughs> Happy New Year. I know it's not still the it's still the new year and uh, I uh, I am one of these people who really loves New Year's Day. I'm lame, you know, I sit there January 1. I'm like, "Oh man, this year I'm going to leave my phone turned off till noon. I'm going to learn to meditate. I'm going to try new things. Uh, so far, with trying new things, I've learned that hemp milk tastes bad. Uh, I, uh, as far as my phone being turned off, I've been waking up at noon, so that's been good. <laughs> and uh, I didn't realize meditation, all you do is close your eyes and worry about everything. Oh, no. That's my mantra. Oh, no. <laughs> you just keep repeating that until the timer goes off. Ding! <laughs> Two minutes. New record. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. All my friends are married. Every single one of them is married. And... And it makes you wonder if all your friends are married and you're not, is something wrong with me? And of course, the answer is yes, you know? <laughs> of course. But whenever I'm having these thoughts, I'm like, okay, what would my therapist say? Because it's easier to guess than to go see her. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like I could guess. You know what I mean? If you get to know your therapist well enough, you can stop going. I think she would say, well, Joe, do you want to get married? And then I would cry. And, <laughs> and she'd be like, we're actually out of time. And I'd be like, you're right. What am I thinking? I don't know. If I, I want to be in a good relationship. That sounds nice. It seems like marriage would just put pressure on a relationship that was going well. Like, oh, man, this is going great. Let's invite all of our friends and family to a place and then promise them that it'll keep going great forever. <laughs> we promise we won't be, we, we promise we won't make a single mistake. 
and your friends are like, you better not, we paid. <laughs> now let's dance. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Uh, I think I am ready to get married in the sense that I am tired of meeting new people. <laughs> I'm not. It's not that I don't like new people. It's just I I feel myself answering the same questions. It feels kind of like deja vu. Like, where are you from? I'm like, I've been here before. <laughs> Sometimes I'll mix up my answers just to have more fun. But then I'm just lying. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not from Oregon. I was just tired of talking about West Virginia. <laughs> but I've been trying to do new things. You ever, uh, you ever take up a new thing and then you realize you, you didn't? Like, uh, you'll see somebody a month later. They're like, oh, yeah, how's yoga going? And you're like, what? <laughs> you're a big yoga guy. Oh, yeah, I thought that was something I did. <laughs> but I never did that. I never did that. <laughs> uh, with babies, you know, it'd be nice to have a baby that was awesome. Sure, right? <laughs> like, it sounds kind of nice to have a, just a tiny person who has to hang out with me. I think I'll be that kind of dad. Billy, get over here. I didn't do anything. I know, but I'm lonely. Let's play. I would want a baby that was talented and athletic, you know, or one that grew up and cured cancer and like I had cancer, and I'm like, good thing I had that baby. <laughs> but I wouldn't want like a mean, bad baby, you know, grows up, takes bath salts, eats a nice man's face. <laughs> ah, I shouldn't have had a baby. Hmm. <laughs> People always ask your horoscope. I'm a Scorpio, which is a bad first impression. People go, can't trust Scorpio. So I just say I'm a Libra, and then they're like, oh, you're very trustworthy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. It's pretty sweet being a Libra. We are good. Which is the most Scorpio thing you can tell someone, that you're a Libra. <laughs> Uh, oh, I'm uh, tired of. I'm tired of being a man. Like I'm not gonna switch gender, but I don't want to be associated with men anymore. It's like not good right now. I feel like men need a rebrand. You know, it's like Chipotle was so good for so long. Profits were up, stock was soaring, and then those E. coli scares at four or five locations. And now people are like, Chipotle. And I'm over here like, incident-free burrito Chipotle. And I'm like, well, my shop's been doing all right. Not all Chipotles are terrible. <laughs> like, no, it's all Chipotles. <laughs> and I don't know, like, I, do I need to... Put, put a sign over the Chipotle sign, like Joe's Independent Burrito Store. <laughs> Joe's Incident-Free Taco Stand. I didn't mean it to be an innuendo on that one. Uh, I really didn't. Um, yeah, and uh, I don't know. I, I grew up with the women's empowerment movement with my mom, you know. You know, it's, it's words of strength. 
Women are fierce, hear us roar. Women are strong, women are powerful. I want to start a men's disempowerment movement. <laughs> it's like, we're actually pretty, like, we're pretty weak. We uh, can be pretty emotional. I cried three times at Lady Bird. <laughs> I love cake pops. Um, but we're not in a place where I can admit that outright. I have to get my coffee and then be like, just kind of like, let me take a look at the glass case. Huh, what's that? I guess I'll try five peanut butter cake pups. I've never had them before. I probably would love them. <laughs> but we're not at a place where I can admit that. I think it started Little League Baseball. When you get hit by a pitch, you're 10 years old, you're like, no, that should not have happened. And then your coach is like, man up. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, you want to be a man or a little sissy girl? It's like, are those my only options? <laughs> Can't I be a 10-year-old boy? <laughs> I remember the moment I learned that the sun is also a star. I was 27. <laughs> Blew my mind. Hmm. And I was watching Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was saying that there's 10 times more stars in the universe than all the grains of sand on Earth. I was like, who counted the sand? <laughs> that is a lot. Deserts, beaches, Zen sand gardens. And then I remembered, I saw a guy a few years ago on the beach. He was looking down, sad. I said, is everything okay? And he looked up and he was like, duh. I was like, that was the dude. I think I set him back. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I feel like early humans must have only talked about the weather, living through the Ice Age. <laughs> Woo! This Ice Age is killing me. <laughs> yeah, both of us, we're dying. <laughs> Good thing we figured out fire. That's been a real lifesaver. Back in my day, I had to train a wolf to snuggle to stay warm through the night. And if it snuggled, it was your dog. And if it attacked you, it was still a wolf. <laughs> There's a lot of depression and anxiety in the modern world. And I wonder if cavemen, I don't think cavemen really had it that much. I think it's because now we're so focused on the meaning of life and am I doing things, you know, fulfilling. And I feel like early humans were just focused on survival. And if you live through the day, that was great. You did good. And I feel like I feel like we need to just lower our standards, you know? Of like, oh, I lived today. That was good. <laughs> uh, but I think what really screwed it up for us was obituaries, you know? It lists all these things. People, oh, he's a philanthropist, wrote a novel, four kids that love him. Like, oh, I got to get my shit together. I gotta build up this death resume, you know? It's a lot of pressure. Mm. But I really don't understand money. I think that's one of my biggest issues. And uh, I, uh, I learned that uh, a stock means you own part of a company. I didn't even know that about stocks. And I was like, I've always loved Disney ever since I was a kid. I wanna buy Disney. And one Disney stock is a hundred bucks. I started small and I bought a Disney and uh, 
And the company's worth $150 billion, so I realize I'm a minority owner. <laughs> but I feel that ownership, you know? Anytime somebody says anything nice, oh, Beauty and the Beast was great, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I mean, I can't take all the credit. Part of being an owner is knowing when to step back. Uh, but I really am frustrated with taxes because other governments, the, they just tell you what to pay at the end of the year and you have to pay it. Here the government's like, okay, it's the end of the year. What do you think you're going to pay us? <laughs> you're like, I have no idea. Just tell me. I'll pay you. Nope, you got to add it up <laughs> and give it. Well, I'm really bad at math and organization. What happens if I add it up wrong? You could go to jail. Oh, my God. No, please. I'll pay you whatever you want. Anything. Nope. Guess. Hey, thank you so much. I'm Joe Zerman. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Joe. That was great. Um, hello. Um, hi. How, how are you doing? That's good. Okay. Um, so I'm a big fan of mysteries. Um, I bet you saw me come on stage and thought, yeah, that guy loves when something happens and it's not entirely clear what happened. <laughs> AKA, a mystery. <laughs> You're right. I do love them. I can't get enough of classic mysteries like who was Michael Jackson? Where did the watch that I left on the bus one time end up? And what are the ingredients of milk? I've written a couple of mysteries of my own to share with you tonight. Um, I hope you enjoy them. It was a dark and stormy night, and a man lost his life. How was the man killed, you ask? A thunderbolt from the storm I just mentioned <laughs> came down from the sky and electrocuted him. Yes, that man's death was a pretty open and shut case, and not mysterious at all. Apart from the fact that he was wearing shorts during a storm, I guess he just didn't look at the weather report that day when he was getting dressed. According to the Federal Trade Commission, I am obligated to inform you that this story has been sponsored by Dark Sky, the weather application. Dark Sky is now available on the App Store. It's a great way to inform yourself about weather 
and to avoid being killed by lightning. <laughs> Here's another mystery that hasn't been sponsored that's about a detective solving a mysterious crime. Mr. Bean strolled into the mansion. Now, I want to quickly clarify that Mr. Bean is a detective and not Rowan Atkinson's beloved character well-known for physical comedy. Back to the story. (laughs) It was immediately clear to Mr. Bean, the famous detective, that a murder had happened in the mansion. He could sense it in the air. Also, he'd received a phone call earlier that day asking him to investigate a murder there. Plus, everyone looked really bummed out about something. (laughs) Probably the murder, (laughs) he thought. The victim of the murder was a very wealthy old woman called Pompomus LaCroix. (laughs) She had made her fortune in a number of ways. She was the inventor and CEO of Tech Dex, a miniature finger skateboard. (laughs) She also had made millions by trademarking the phrase, smell you later. (laughs) But perhaps her main source of wealth was selling window decals to dry cleaners that all looked like they were designed in 1980. (laughs) Mr. Bean stood in the lobby of the LaCroix mansion, buried in his own mind. You don't get this kind of money without making a few enemies along the way, he thought. (laughs) He walked upstairs to the crime scene. Mrs. LaCroix had been poisoned just before she went to bed the night before, the police told him. It seemed that the killer had used a rare poison that's undetectable on toxicology tests, but that makes the victim's hands lock in rigor mortis in the rock-on position. (laughs) Mr. Bean looks at Pompomus's hands making the rock-on gesture and shook his head. That's so not rock and roll, he said to himself. It was time to look for clues. A glass was on her bedside table and contained a green liquid that seemed to be pulsating with an electric energy. That's probably how the killer poisoned their victim, Mr. Bean thought. If only Miss LaCroix hadn't drunk the poison, she might be alive today. He looked around the room and noticed a small number of objects. A Bowflex exercise machine, (laughs) a trail of crumbs from the bed to the exercise machine, and then out the door, and a large, aggressive dog that was mauling his leg badly, causing it to bleed profusely. Interesting, Mr. Bean said aloud. Mr. Bean walked downstairs with the dog still clamped on his leg. He was an animal lover and would not do anything to harm this vicious pet. (laughs) 
Assemble all of the people who were in the house last night, Mr. Bean said to the head policeman. I want to interview them and see if anyone knows this lovely pooch. He pointed at the dog, which was busy eating his foot. There were four people in the mansion on the night of the murder, apart from Ms. LaCroix. LaCroix, I'm so sorry. <laughs> she was getting murdered, and so she was above suspicion. <laughs> One suspect was her lawyer, Bob, a middle-aged man with salt and pepper hair and a curious scar across his face two lines running parallel to each other. Mr. Bean asked the lawyer about the scar. He told him that it was from a tech deck, the miniature finger skateboard <laughs> Miss LaCroix had invented. As a child, a malfunctioning tech deck finger skateboard had become sentient <laughs> and attacked Bob with its wheels. It then killed Bob's parents. <laughs> Instead of a financial settlement, Ms. LaCroix... LaCroix... <laughs> LaCroix... brought... I didn't even get that wrong that time. <laughs> Ms. LaCroix brought him into her mansion and raised the scarred boy as her own. <laughs> Mr. Bean wondered if Bob was still angry about the whole sentient skateboard thing, and if he held Miss LaCroix responsible for scarring him permanently and killing his parents. <laughs> that could be a motive for sure, Mr. Bean thought. Also in the mansion were her two children, Lime and Cran Raspberry. <laughs> Lime LaCroix and Cran Raspberry LaCroix both stood to benefit from their mother's death. <laughs> they would inherit her fortune. And they probably resented her for giving them first names that matched up with LaCroix flavors. <laughs> but nothing else connected them to the crime. And then there was the butler, Manchego Barata. <laughs> he was extremely muscular and had a big diamond brooch and constantly ate cheese and crackers hence his nickname Cheesy <laughs> also his actual name was two different cheeses so it worked quite well after his interviews with the suspects Mr. Bean moved around the living room on his crutches the dog had completely eaten his left leg by this point I know who the murderer is, Mr. Bean said. He took like 30 minutes of being super dramatic to wind up to the fact that everybody had conspired to commit the murder. Bob hated LaCroix for the skateboard incident. The LaCroix children wanted their mother's money, and they all paid the butler to poison her. He used the Bowflex on the floor and ate his crackers, leaving the crail of trums the tr trail of crumbs <laughs> after committing the awful murder. Mr. Bean looked on with satisfaction as the police took the murder conspirators away in handcuffs. There was only one left mystery left to solve, and it was eating away at him. 
looking down at the dog, which was halfway through his remaining leg. <laughs> Mr. Bean asked aloud, Where is your home? The dog stopped eating his flesh, wiped its jaws, and said, I feel at home when I'm with you. A tear came to Mr. Bean's eye, and it wasn't the pain of the dog eating his leg. He'd solved the biggest mystery of all. Love. <laughs> Thank you so much. Those are my mystery stories. Um, and next up, we have Rebecca O'Neill, who is extremely funny. You've seen her around town. She moved here recently from Chicago, and she is on Netflix's Easy. Thanks so much. How y'all doing? Clap it up for your host real quick, Colin. And that delightful transatlantic accent. You can't tell where he's from, can you? It's fantastic. Okay. I love that story. It was very engaging. He was like, LaCroix drank poison. I'm like, LaCroix drank LaCroix. That shit is gross. Okay. Uh, I tried not drinking for a little bit. And I'm like, so at bars, it's hard not to drink, right? So they always have LaCroix. So I'm like, I'm going to drink LaCroix. And I started liking that shit. But, like, women always fall for their captors. So fuck it. Um, <laughs> hate LaCroix. Um <laughs> I'm doing a show, clapping up for book club. This is cool as fuck, right? This has been a very muted show so far. That's not the wave I'm riding. So I'm going to be loud. Um, <laughs> I'm riding a very loud wave right now. Um, it's called book club. I like that. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm false flagging right now. I haven't finished a book in 18 months. And um, my brain has atrophied. So this shit going to be dumb as hell. Um, Six years ago, I was writing for Vanity Fair. Now I just twerk and smoke weed all day. So, like, what's really good? You know what I mean? Like, what's good? Um, I've been in New York for four months. It's been fine. It's been fine. Um, I, it's been just fine. Oh, yeah. So I, was, I had this big opener. Like, oh, you guys, I'm Rebecca O'Neill. You thought I was white, right? But y'all get it. Um, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to fake do the job. I'm making fun of myself. Like, don't I sound Irish? <laughs> like, you get it. Um, <laughs> I have the name of a step dancer from a St. Patrick's Day parade, but I sound like a, no, I look like an extra in a Tyler Perry movie. Like, who cares about punchlines? Um, so, um, in that story that Colin told, the dog was the villain. And I'm like, I feel very seen right now because I was a dog walker for a month. And I'm like, them little motherfuckers suck, right? Like, I love dogs. I love dogs. I left my dog back in Chicago with my mom when I moved here. She's a 19-pound Beagle Terrier mix named Hershey, and I really love her. We really relate to each other. Like, she also does not acknowledge that she lives under the Trump administration. And I'm like, bitch. So, <laughs> uh, and um, she also, like, I don't have to be hungry to get real excited about food. So we vibing. And, um... Yeah, so I was a dog walker. My mom was like, I lasted three weeks. My mom was like, why are you a dog walker? And I was like, capitalism. And because uh, qu uh, quite like uh, Mr. Bean in the story you just heard, I was bitten by some dogs. I got bit by some very cute, very rich dogs. And I just feel like it's punching down for a dog who lives above my station to be drawing blood. That's all I'm saying. Like, modest proposal was a satire, Fluffy. Like, don't eat the poor. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm poor, don't eat me, bitch. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got cat call while I was dog walking, which is weird for more reasons than wordplay. Um, I, uh, I'm, this is me dressed muted, believe it or not. Um, I'm, this, I'm like, you know what? It's called book club. This is going to be a literary crowd dressed like a normal person. This is my attempt. And so um, 
the cat calls, there was a theme emerge, and it was like, hey, colorful, because I usually dress like, what if Miss Frizzle was a thought? And um, so, <laughs> like, I look like a teacher, but on a CW show, them kids getting fucked, you know what I mean? Like, those kids are getting fucked and murdered. Um, so, I love CW programming, it's incredible. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I have a teacher vibe, so people don't think I'm crazy, but I am. So, um, this, so uh, I would get catcalled and people like, hey, colorful, hey, rainbow. And I'm like, that's got to be me. Because everybody in New York, y'all do this very like muted, monotonous. I'm going to pull this up because I don't want a nip slip. But I do want to get famous, though. Don't I want a nip slip? Um, <laughs> okay. So like, dudes, like, everybody here dresses like in monotonous, just very earth-tony. And that's not my vibe. Like, everybody here dresses like they're going to like, a chic destination funeral. And that's not what I'm <laughs> about. Um, I dress more like a background dancer in a body positive hip hop video, you know what I mean? Like, I'm gonna twerk so hard, you're gonna realize, wow, all, all women are beautiful. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm like the mullet of people, I swear to God, y'all not gonna get it, but you're gonna enjoy it. Um, so, Rebecca, why did you move to Chicago? Um, nobody asked, but here we go. Um, I moved here partially for my career didn't everybody. And I moved here partially because of a fucking mystery. Okay? I had a stalker in Chicago, which is not funny. I was in court for 10 months against a rich white boy whose dad is a judge from the suburbs. And I'm a black girl from the south side of Chicago, like the murder capital part of the country from the news, if you're familiar. And, uh, and I'm on, in, on trial for 10 months against like the mascot of white privilege. The fuck? So um, I moved here, and I hang out with mostly comedians. This is not funny, but they all make the same joke. Like, oh, my ex was white. He's still white. And um, they're like, Rebecca, if you got this white boy trying to kill you, you must have some bomb-ass pussy, which is a very <laughs> ignorant statement. Who laughing? I'll fight you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is a comedy show, so laugh on. Uh, no, but, like, this is an ignorant statement to make to somebody who's been through, like, hella trauma and is very victim-blamey. Like, it asserts that there's something I could have done positively or negatively to deserve the behavior I survived. And I don't fuck with that. Also, like, the pussy must be bombed. The pussy is adequate at best. The head is amazing. Get your fucking story straight. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you sound dumb right now. Like, talk about what you know. Like, I don't know. So, yeah, I'm difficult. Um, uh, I also, so I dumped my ex back in Chicago because I'm too horny for long distance. Know thyself. And um, so he was 23. I am not significantly. But he had a lot of energy, and a bitch has her reasons. So um, I was calling this little rugrat daddy in bed. And I'm like, okay, girl, so you're into some Benjamin Button shit then. That's wild. It's like, put it on your FetLife page. Let the people know. Um, <laughs> I, am, I am a feminist, and I mean it when I say it. But um, in the context of a relationship with a man, I get pretty submissive, and I like a man who's dominant, and I don't fight what I like. But it is a mindfuck to be a feminist whose sexual fetish could be described as a Republican household, like the... <laughs> Oh, you can get whiplash from cognitive dissonance. New information. Okay, like, it's a lot going on in my brain and my pussy. Anatomically baffling. Okay. Um, so I told him I'm moving out of state. I'm moving across the country. We should move on. We should both move on and live our third best lives. And um, he agreed. So I'm like, we should move on. And then he did. And I'm like, the gumption, the gall, the nerve. So, um, <laughs> again, I'm a feminist. And my feminism is intersectional. And it includes everybody except the bitch my ex is fucking right now. Like, how? <laughs> You know how many rights does a bitch need? That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. That's all I mean by it. It's just, you know, like, because, like, because, like, you know what I mean? Like, I want to level the playing field. So I'm going to pass around a petition taking away her right to vote, because fuck her. Um, so 
I'm a feminist, but like to a point. You know, it is a, there's a point. Um, <laughs> what do I like about New York so far? It's gonna be so short. Um, oh, well, so, oh, don't awe me, bitch. Uh, <laughs> okay, so oh, my ears used to pop when I went on the train from Brooklyn to Manhattan, because like my soft Midwestern body cannot handle the pressure. And um, that shit stopped, because the city's broken me. And um, so my favorite thing so far is bodegas, though. Like, we don't have this exact phenomenon in Chicago, okay? We have corner stores. We have bakeries. They are two separate sovereign commercial enterprises. There's no overlap, okay? At a corner store in Chicago, you can get the basic shit. Like, Swisher's, this is shit I like. Swisher Sweets, like Blunt's, Arizona iced tea, a warm orange, shit like that. So, um... Here, there's like people cooking in the kitchen, and I find it quaint. So um, I have a gripe because this is a comedy show. I gotta have a gripe. My gripe is uh, like, why do the bodega dudes ask what you want on your sandwich if they're gonna do whatever the fuck they feel anyway? Like it feels disingenuous. You know what I mean? Like I'm from the murder capital. I can't do the phone. Like be real and call yourself a tastemaker or a concierge or some shit like that because you're clearly eyeballing it and giving it. Like, what you feel I deserve? I know I'm your muse and not your customer, and I know this is a fat problem, but that's fine. Um, what am I, so I'm trying, I feel like New York is in a, ver a very efficient place. Everybody moves fast, everybody's moving all the time. And I wanted to try to ride that wave, so I was making some coffee, I put some chocolate protein powder in it, and I'm like, this is my superfood. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if I could squeeze some weed in here, I'd never eat again. Like, that's a, like, you know what I mean? And New Yorkers are kind of like that. I bet y'all would just like suck nutrients off a pipe on the subway if you could, because you're gross. Um, y'all gross. <laughs> like, honestly, when I put the protein powder in my coffee, I'm like, New York, is, I feel different now. New York has changed me. This is past two birds, one stone. This is like bird genocide level shit. But I'm manic. I have manic. Okay. Um, so the first thing I did when I broke up with my ex, though, is I, and nobody's ever told a single woman to do this, but I did it. Um, I bought a bunch of cardigans. And... Um, <laughs> I did it for what I feel to be a noble reason. My idol, Michelle LeVon Obama. Um, we don't have time, we don't have time. She's a goddess, she's a bad bitch. Um, <laughs> she's a little black girl from the south side of Chicago just like me, right? And she married a president. So I'm like, bitch, get you some cardigans, find you a man, get your life together, right? Um, marry up, marry rich, stop fucking around. So um, <laughs> I love Michelle, like my triceps are tingling right now. That shouldn't be a part of it, but um, I do love her, like I bet she smells like cocoa butter, can jump double dutch, so good. She's a renaissance woman is all I'm saying. <laughs> I am sexually attracted to her and uh, I need to stop saying that in public before I get put on a watch list, but it's cool, I could fight. Um, we grew up similarly, I grew up nerdy in the hood, which I feel is confusing for people, <laughs> white people. Um, <laughs> people are very binary black and white ideas of what people can be, and I feel like my personality confuses some people. Michelle grew up like that, too. She grew up not too far from me in Chicago. Um, she went to Ivy League school. She's a bad bitch. And uh, it sticks with you growing up like that. Like, I moved to the craziest city in the world. I'm here in New York. <laughs> Hella Marvel fights take place here. I'm not ready. And so um, I bought brass knuckles for protection. I'm not good at close combat. Don't know why I have these, but I bought them. But like, cause I grew up nerdy in the hood, those brass knuckles are like in my NPR tote bag. So, um, <laughs> all things considered, not that dangerous. Not gonna hurt you. Not gonna hurt you. Speaking of NPR, um, the story about the stalking two-part series coming out in two months. Check me out, motherfuckers. Okay. Um, um, 
I guess I'll tell y'all this. Oh, I moved to, so <laughs> I grew up nerdy in the hood, right? Um, and, I, it, it, and I made peace with it. I made peace with it. But then I moved here to Brooklyn <laughs> where people self-identify as nerds to be cool. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Now it's like two N-words I got to take back against the people who use them against me. Y'all could go fuck yourselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so um, uh, the rest of this set is not going to pass the Bechdel test. I will be talking about penis the entire time. Okay. Um, <laughs> I gained some weight in my, did I get the light already? No one's gonna tell me, great. Um, nope, incredible. Okay, so um, I gained some weight in my last relationship. My ex was trying to be a good boyfriend. He like told me like, you're beautiful no matter what. I love you no matter what you look like. But my hungry ass heard that. And I just thought, I'm like, dope, great news. I made some cookies about it, right? So um, I gained like 26 sneaky pounds in that relationship and now I am shaped like a sexy Teletubby. So it's, you know. People like it, Rule 34, people fucking. And um, so I, um, I joined the gym back in Chicago. Do you guys, um, you guys have Planet Fitness in New York? Yeah. Cool, man, I've been asking some dumbass questions on stage like about New York City, like, okay, in New York, do so y'all be converting oxygen into carbon dioxide or is that something we just do back home? Y'all do all the same shit. So um, Planet Fitness, which with, uh, you seem familiar. So um, I joined Planet Fitness, it's $10 a month, which I'm broke, so it was like very within my wheelhouse. And uh, with their $10, they give you a free personal trainer. And I, that's how I found out that personal trainers are like an entire genre of man that I love. I didn't know this until I found out there's a whole brand of hot dudes who love boss and fat girls around. And I'm like, yes, because um, like I'm, I like sexually dominant dudes. And so it's like a yin and yang type symbiotic relationship. So I joined three Planet Fitnesses. And I got three of them because I'm fucking thorough. Like, that's just how I am. Uh, I'm trying to date around. Well, I told my ex I used to be a cheerleader back in high school, and he's nasty. Aren't we all? And uh, he got very excited. He was like, baby, that's so hot. Like, okay, do you still have the uniform? If you still got the uniform, go put it on for me. We're going to have so much fun. It's going to be crazy. And I'm like, why would you ask me if I still have the uniform? Like, we've been dating for a while. You know I'm crazy as hell. I don't throw shit away. Of course I still got the uniform. So... Go get the uniform out, put it on. I get the uniform on. Uh, we'll say by the grace of God. And uh, so I get the uniform on. I'm proud of myself, right? Um, <laughs> I can't breathe. He likes that too. We won't read into it. And so I'm in this little ass uniform, and he's so turned on. I'm like, okay, is my boyfriend's fetish like teenage cheerleaders or big bitches squeezing in the tiny clothes? Like, what does he like about this? So he had a good time. So good for him. Um, I'm going to get out of here with some more shit about Stupid penises. Um, <laughs> I've been trying to date around in New York, and I keep meeting a uh, man. People here are so fucking hot, like symmetrical faces, cheekbones. Get the fuck. So um, <laughs> keep meeting these dudes who are super hot and, like, boring as white church. You know, like, <laughs> I went over to this guy's house after a show to Netflix and chill, and he pulled out an acoustic guitar, and I'm like, oh, it's a ukulele? I'm going to fucking kill myself. That's all. Like, why you eat so much oatmeal? I don't get your lifestyle. Like, grain-based? Get the fuck out of here. So, um, uh... I like guys who are hot and dumb, though. It's a rule I have. I'm going to let you penetrate me. I need to be able to outsmart you. Checks and balances. So, um, <laughs> if you can base the country on that, I can base my dating life on it. So, um, like, it's just, you know, it's a rule I have. So, I was on online dating for a while. I joined Tinder for long enough to get this bit, and then I deleted the application. Um, I got a message from a guy who looked totally normal, because they tend to, and the message had one line, the one line of the message read, I bet you got some big dumbass nipples. And I'm like, bro, what the fuck? Like, 
I'm at my house by myself covering my titties up. How did we get to this point? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you also never gonna find out how tiny my nipples are, motherfucker. Um, so, oh, I was on OkCupid too, and like dudes with 30% match ratings out of 100 or lower will message me, and I'm like, 30%? Are you actively looking for an enemy? Do you wanna start a fight club? Like, what is this shit, bro? Okay, I'm gonna get out of here on this. I, I say I like hot dumb dudes, but I'm a space cadet myself. Like, I think I'm an intelligent person, but I have extremely vapid interests. I'm of no use to society. It doesn't matter. So one of my favorite activities is smoking weed and watching science fiction movies, okay? So I did this one day. Oh, here in New York, you can text the service of criminals and they'll bring drugs to your house. So I did that. And um, this dude brought over some sativa, thinking man's marijuana. So I felt very smart. I felt very creative. You know, I had a lot of thoughts and ideas. Turn on my TV guide. Shout out to my dad. He pays for my cable. And I pointed up where he is still alive. So <laughs> thanks, Dad. So um, a couple channels down, there's this movie in the title box called Yo Robot. I get really excited, like, Yo Robot's about to be dope, right? Post-apocalyptic future, dystopia, Hunger Games level shit, right? Like dirty teenagers being oppressed, forced into cat sepia tones, the whole shit, you know? So I'm excited. I'm high as a pie. Turn to Yo Robot, ready to watch this movie. And Yo Robot. Uh, turns out to be iRobot in Spanish? And I'm like, for sure, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, Will Smith and everything, top to bottom, same movie. So it's like, you know, who could have seen that coming? It's all, like, not I, not yo, um, <laughs> not Rebecca O'Neill. Did I watch the whole thing? See? Uh, yes, I did. You guys have been incredible. Clap it up your host. Goodbye. Thank you, thank you. Oh my God, keep it going for Rebecca O'Neill. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, okay, our next performer is so, so funny and so nice. Um, she used to be a staff writer for The Onion in Chicago. She's now a staff writer for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. Give it up for Jen Spira. Hello, thank you. Guys, give it up for everybody you saw tonight. This is such a great show. Oh my God, I love Blythe. I've worked with Blythe for like five years and um, she's just really cool. Uh, Give it up for Big Dumb Nipples! Woo! Good. Um, I'm glad that we did that together. Um, okay, so my real situation is that I'm getting married in June, on June 9th. Anybody else currently engaged? Okay. Um, and I, I, I can't, honestly, I really thought that I wasn't going to go for like, Every, like I thought that I, I wasn't gonna get like a, a normal bridal dress and I didn't I wasn't gonna care about flowers and all the stuff but I'm ending up caring about all of the stuff and I'm really ashamed of myself and so one of the things that I've recently started to be aware of is my bridal body and getting it ready um, and so this I, I wrote this thing about achieving my bridal body um, and I just like to share it with you so this is called how I achieved my bridal body I wanted to look and feel my best at my wedding. What bride doesn't? Three months before the big day, I stripped naked, stepped in front of a mirror, and took stock of my goals. My hips have always been my biggest problem area. I definitely needed to do something about them. Same with my thighs. And of course, my neck tattoo, which says property of chainsaw. <laughs> I don't care how good of a kisser your ninth grade boyfriend is, never get a tattoo of his name outside the bikini area. I realized I would need help achieving my bridal body, so I joined a gym and booked a session with a personal trainer. Diego asked me about my fitness goals. I told him that my wedding was in three months and I wanted toned arms, a flat stomach, and sculpted legs. He told me he'd like a nine-inch cock that printed money. 
I thought that was harsh, but I had to respect his tough love approach. And actually, it might be just what I needed. Diego had me jog on the treadmill while he tracked my time by playing Call of Duty on his phone. I logged 30 minutes, and then we set up a schedule where we'd meet twice a week. I left the gym feeling pretty good about my plan. As I was walking down the street, a woman leaning, leaning against a brick wall called after me. She had short, spiky hair. Are you serious about getting a bridal body? Hell yes, I was, but how did this lady know? She answered me before I could even ask. I saw you talking to Diego. They give him, she paused, eyeing me up and down. Cases like yours. Hip-centric? Five-alarm shit-fires, she said. I nodded. She was coarse like Diego, but I liked her candor. I gestured to my situation. I need to get this thing bridal ready. What should I do? She took out a scrap of paper and scribbled something on it. Meet me at the loading yard at 1 a.m. and bring this in cash. I looked down at the paper. This is a receipt from Pick-A-Bagel on the back. <laughs> she had written a huge sum of money, enough money to buy a new life or a parking spot in Midtown, a shitty one, but still. <laughs> I stayed up that night thinking, long after Matt had gone to sleep. He was a good man, and I loved him, and he deserved a hot bridal body. So I made some calls, got the cash together, and kissed Matt goodbye as he slept. I met the woman and handed over my bag of money. She checked to make sure it was all there, then knocked me out with a single quick punch. When I woke up, I was blindfolded with a throbbing head and hands tied in the back of a truck. There were voices around me, but I didn't recognize their language. We parked, and my captor dragged me out of the truck and told me to march. After two grueling hours, we reached the, what smelled like the opening of a cave. She pushed me inside and ripped off my blindfold. I rubbed my eyes, desperately trying to make out anything at all as I squinted into the black void. Slowly, I started to make out shapes. There were about 40 women training in a cement studio. Sagging abs, crappy triceps, not a clavicle in sight. A bare light bulb hung above us. My captor strode forward and blew a whistle. The women froze. Brides, we have a new recruit. She turned to me. You're here because you have the will to succeed. But look around you. Only half will survive. <laughs> I was assigned a straw mat on the floor of a long cement building. I kept to myself. My only possessions were my slop pail, my Fitbit, and my picture of Matt. I drew it from memory on a scrap of boar hide. Every night after Zumba and our vicious nude wrestling matches, I would kiss it. After two weeks, I looked better than I'd ever dared to dream. I'd lost six pounds, and I could actually see some definition in my arms. I went to my room, packed my bags, and thanked my trainer for all her help. When I woke from the beating she gave me, my trainer told me I wasn't even 5% of the way through the program. For starters, I needed to drop my BMI by 40%, add 11 pounds of muscle, and 6 pounds of primo titty fat. I wouldn't know when I was done. I would be told. I couldn't believe it. I was going to look so amazing on my wedding day. Later that night, as I rubbed a numbing poultice into my wounds, a thought niggled in the back of my mind. When I was through with the program, I was going to be really hot. In fact, I would probably be so hot that I didn't really know if Matt and I would make sense anymore. <laughs> I mentally scrolled through the men who would be left in my league, and all I came up with was Zac Efron, 90s era Denzel, and the Travago guy. <laughs> I sat for a moment and pondered the absurdity of my situation, training for a wedding that would be rendered obsolete by my very training. But I decided I had to see where this journey would take me. Seven winters passed. 
One morning, I almost lost it all. I was doing my daily training of moving boulders up and down the ravine. By now, my arms were incredibly toned, and I got giddy when I thought of how perfect they'd look in the lace bolero I planned to wear when I loped with Emmanuel Macron. My trainer, Ashley, monitored my progress from the watchtower, shouting death threats to keep me motivated. Rolling the boulder down a corner of the ravine, I was suddenly briefly out of sight of the tower. My body cried out from fatigue and hunger, and I made a quick decision. I had hidden a meal pellet inside myself for just such an opportunity. I devoured it, luxuriating in its foodie crunchiness. Then I grabbed the boulder and hurried back up the side of the ravine. Ashley was waiting for me there. What were you doing in the ravine? My thoughts raced wildly, searching for any excuse. The punishment for disobedience was death. I was doing extra calf raises, she smirked at me. Let's see what leader thinks of that. Ashley turned and started back for the compound. I knew I had no choice. It was her or me. I lunged for her legs. At that close range, their definition made my eyes mist with respect. She was quick and grabbed for her dagger. We wrestled on the frozen ground, grunting and growling as we tore at each other like wolves. Finally, I grabbed a nearby boulder and delivered a death blow to her skull. When I looked up, my face dripping with her blood and mine, I realized we were surrounded. Leader and the other brides began to clap. You are ready, Leader said. You have completed the program. There is no satisfaction like revealing your bridal body to your groom after seven years of hard training. Even though I was going to start my new life with an AI hybrid of Timothy Chalamet and Idris Elba, I figured Matt at least deserved a look at my bridal body. So I decided to pay him a visit. When I got to his house, I was surprised to see that Matt wore contacts now. And his hair was a little thinner. And he had a wife and two sons. <laughs> I thought you were dead, he screamed. I was prepared for this moment. The program taught me that reactions to my bridal body would be extreme. Where have you been? You disappeared. You fucking disappeared three months before our wedding. We had a celebration of life ceremony for you last year. We just unveiled the headstone. You're legally dead. A woman walked up beside him. She had kind eyes and underdeveloped delts. Oh my God, she murmured, staring. It's her. Matt started to cry. The woman wrapped her shitty arms around him. She looked at me with pity in her eyes. Leave us alone, please. The truth is, I was anxious to get out of there. Bridal bodies only have 12 hours before they begin to atrophy, and I still had to find and wed Timothy Selba. By piecing together visual clues from his Instagram, I was able to locate his apartment. But as I was shimmying up a storm drain to greet him, I heard police sirens. Later at the precinct, the cop said I could make one call. I couldn't believe it had come to this. I had worked so hard for this day, and here I was, locked away in a cell, watching it all fall apart before my eyes. There was only one person I could turn to. I winced as I dialed the number. After everything I'd put him through, I had no idea if he'd even take the call. But to my relief, he said he'd be there as soon as he could. As I walked back to my cell, I caught a glimpse of myself in the window and saw that my body had sagged fully back into its pre-bridal form. I hung my head in shame. Twenty minutes later, the cop said my visitor had arrived. I looked up as Chainsaw walked through the door. <laughs> you look fucking hot, baby. Want to scarf some dumpster bagels and then puke off an overpass? I looked into his eyes, and in the presence of God, the police chief, and the junkie sharing my cell, I took his hand and said, I do. <laughs> Thank you. Jen Spira, everybody. Woo!
Okay, I also wrote something for you guys. I really got caught up on Bess, so I just was like, Bess should have her own series. Um, so these are some mystery books about Nancy Drew's fat friend, Bess. Uh, the Secret Hallway. Bess had just sat down to a sandwich she made herself when she gets a call from her slim type A friend, Nancy Drew. Nancy has just discovered a secret hallway in some random person's house and needs Bess to come see it for some reason. Bess is like, can you give me a minute? But Nancy can't give her a minute. Bess puts the sandwich in the fridge for later, but it's not as good later when she eats it. The mustard has seeped into the bread. Uh, the secret dresser. Bess is eating soup at a restaurant when she overhears that a large inheritance badly needed by a poor family may be hidden in an old dresser. Before she calls her friend Nancy to investigate, Bess finishes the soup. I mean, she already paid for the soup. <laughs> Bess, Nancy, and George find the inheritance, and it literally makes no difference that they got started 15 minutes later. <laughs> the mystery of the hidden hideout. Nancy asks Bess and George to help her investigate a mysterious building, but Bess declines because A, property laws, B, no one asks them to do this, and C, it's too dangerous. Nancy breaks into the building anyways. Does Nancy have a death wish? Bess makes a mental note to ask her later if she's doing okay. Um, the secret of the safe deposit box. So somehow Nancy has befriended an old woman whose heirloom jewels were stolen. No one knows how. Where does Nancy find these people? Uh, while interviewing the woman's maid on a steam-powered riverboat, again, Bess has no idea how this is happening, Bess meets a new friend named Joan. When Bess suggests grabbing lunch, Joan doesn't laugh at her for wanting to eat. This has literally never happened to Bess before. Uh, the secret on the ski slopes. Bess uh, does some serious thinking on whether she needs to cut some people out of her life. <laughs> the clue in the manuscript. Nancy, Bess, and George spend two entire months tracing the origins of a manuscript, which contains coded instructions to a buried cache of fully appreciated government bonds. And it's like fine that they did this. Bess definitely like felt good when they found the box, but was it worth two months of her entire life that she'll never get back? I don't know. Uh, Bess's mysterious book choice. In this book, Bess reads the beauty myth. Um, she starts to think about whether she should go to college to study women and gender studies instead of spending another year post high school doing nothing, just killing time between phone calls from Nancy Drew. Uh, the clue of the ship in the bottle. Bess sits this one out and she just eats deviled eggs and no one gives her shit for it. <laughs> and then finally, the curious fire mystery. Bess is driving to her first week of college classes when she passes a burning house. Huh, that's weird, Bess says, and she doesn't for a second stop to investigate. In the end. Thank you. Um, so we have one more performer for you. He has appeared on Inside Amy, Amy Schumer. He does stand up all around town, and he's recording an album here at Union Hall on February 16th. Give it up for Nori Davis. <laughs> All right, how you doing? Good. Um, I ain't do my homework, man. Okay, I guess that's for them. Back there, I'm supposed to like talk about mystery and Nancy Drew the book. Uh, it's the last book I read. I think a book I read was by Dick Gregory, and I had to stop. I was getting sad. 
like when you know when you read too many like civil rights books or like watch too many black slave movies, you like you start unfollowing white people. <laughs> it's like all right, I gotta put this book down. <laughs> now I'm going backwards. <laughs> mystery. Let's see. Here's a mystery. Um, I'm from I'm from Yonkers, New York, so I'm trying to figure out how to get back home. Uh, <laughs> it's so far. I didn't realize Yonkers was far until what's up. I took an Uber from Brooklyn to Yonkers. It was so far, the driver was like, yeah, man, you out here. <laughs> I'm like, I got a credit card. You're going to get paid. He's like, yeah, but I got to go back. <laughs> I've never been in an Uber ride where the driver was rethinking his life choices. <laughs> he was pissed. I was just like, I got to give him some motivation because he about to cancel this trip on me. So I'm like, look, man, we gonna get there together. <laughs> He's like, nah, man, I should have listened to my mother. <laughs> I'm a dentist. I shouldn't even have this side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a side hustle. Unnecessary side hustle. Oh, man, I, I'm 50-50 for the driver. Like, Cause did you? I just found this out. Did you know like once you get in the car, they don't see your route until you get into the car. Like that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> that would be one reason why I wouldn't take it. Like I'm driving, so I get my car, put a body in the trunk. They're like, all right, Delaware. It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Wiping his hand with blood. All right, let's go. <laughs> like there's no Uber boss on site. <laughs> Who do I call? Do I just go with the ride and be an accomplice in this murder? No, it's fuck that. I get out the car and call a lift and go home. <laughs> lift driver, how was your night, man? Let me tell you. <laughs> fuck Uber. <laughs> I'm going back to Boston Market. <laughs> I used to always like get a ride to the subway from Yonkers, but now I just found this new train called Metro North. You ever heard of this train? All right, so people don't know Metro North is like the subway, but there's no dicks. <laughs> there's no dicks, there's no panhandling, it's clean, and it's $11. And the subway's $275. So for $8.25, you're treated like a fucking human being. <laughs> you are a person. Because you know the grind, we on the subway grinds doing our thing. There's always going to be somebody like, hey, man, you know, do you have any money? And I always want to tell them, like, look, we're broke, too. <laughs> That's why we on here. <laughs> now, what you need to do is go to Metro North. Them niggas got money. They paid It always inspires me to become like a manager and get like all the subway acts and be like, all right, man, go on this Connecticut line and get my 10%. <laughs> Them black kids starts tumbling down that Metro North train. Them white women from Connecticut, oh, do you take Freedom Chase? <laughs> yes, ma'am, we have the square. Thank you. <laughs> there we go, book club. All right, all right. You guys. <laughs> I wish he did his homework. <laughs> Very conservative laughs. I know that's not what you are, but she's like, <laughs> 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 yes, 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 he's funny. He's funny. 
<laughs> I wouldn't invite him to my book club. <laughs> Maybe he can go to Barnes and Nobles and tell his jokes, but not my bookstore in Brooklyn on Lafayette. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm woke, but I try not to be too woke. It's exhausting. Cause like when you're too woke, it's like, I wanna go to sleep. <laughs> but you can't sleep cause it's like, nah, they want me to sleep. <laughs> I gotta stay woke. Why they put salt and chapstick, nigga, I know what they doing. <laughs> Up all night. Shit. I always try to think like what level woke I am. Probably like a, you know, a King or a Colin Kaepernick. Not, not like a, not a Jim Carrey woke. That's ridiculous. He, he look like Forrest Gump. He about to start running in a bit. <laughs> we just gonna follow him. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about the mask. <laughs> I just started running. <laughs> I see what he tried to do there with that joke. <laughs> not my cup of tea. <laughs> Next one. All right, I'll try again, sorry. Uh, <laughs> All right, how about a black joke? <laughs> Joke's on you, too woke for that shit. I don't have one. Yeah, like I'm, <sighs> yeah, so I try to like, you know, have fun, but then you know, your brain just gets like so conscious, socially conscious with everything, like I'm, Conscious on masculinity, like I'm trying to help my boys get rid of that word. Like just, you know, just be a good person. Like fuck, be a, I'm a man. Like I got my homies like that. Like yeah, I'm a man. Like it's like nigga, just, just cry. <laughs> it's okay. Like fella, you gotta cry. Like if you don't cry, you'll kill somebody. <laughs> I cry. Like I can't do it on demand. Like an actor, I just watch movies that activate it. anything that Pixar made. That movie sang, that really got me. <laughs> that shit's sad, B. Like, it's not even sad. I think it's just the part where the, the, the gorilla, silverback gorilla went to go, <laughs> this nigga ran out of jail to go tell his son he loved him. I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> And then that's my trigger. If my dad would come in here like, I love you, I would quit stand-up. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> Had a good time, thank you. What happened in the... No, I mean, like, that's part of the joke. Damn, y'all. Woo, y'all niggas know how comedy works? You, woo, <laughs> yeah, this might be y'all first time. Yes, yes, bye. Oh, oh this Barnes and Nobles. <laughs> Barnes and Nobles Negro is back. Shit. <laughs> Bet he doesn't buy a book, he just browses. <laughs> Reads it on the carpet and leaves. I do. <laughs> Barnes and Noble, that's the high class library right there. They don't give a fuck. <laughs> Me and my daughter been there the whole time. Get some education and leave. Just walk out. Papers all creased and shit. Get it Danish. Chill out. You go to the public library. You know how that is. Ish. You have a card. What the fuck? <laughs> Why are you wasting plastic? <laughs> Nobody care about no card. 
You guys are fun. All right. I'm having too much fun, it feels like. I'm sorry. Let me bring it back. I, yeah. yeah, my daughter's dope. She's five years old. Um, that's the homie right there. She, uh, I like her loyalty. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> why is that funny? Yeah, you know how like toddlers are loyal where like people are like, oh, always bring him around. I wanna see him. And I'm just like, she don't fuck with you. <laughs> no, I'm bringing her around. She's been on this earth for only five years. All she knows is mommy, daddy, and grandma. Everybody else can die for she knows. <laughs> she it wouldn't even phase her. Every time she sees my she doesn't see my dad that much, but every time she sees him, she's like, You know, you know this nigga? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Layla, that's your grandfather. It's like an episode of Power. Like, I'm Ghost and she's Tommy. You know this motherfucker, Ghost? Have you seen him? That's your grandfather. Put the gun down. Now, I ain't never seen this motherfucker in my life. I'll shoot him right there. No! It's your grandfather. Put the gun down. All right, now, just give him a hug. Nah. You let me know when we about to leave. <laughs> right? Like, oh, she already got that in her, you know? Nice, beautiful child instinct, I guess, right? I always try to think how I'm going to protect. Well, f- I mean, I don't know. I don't believe in guns. I'm not going to get a gun. I'll probably, when she gets 11, I'll invest in some bow and arrow lessons. <laughs> I don't know why black people never got into archery, man. You can buy it anywhere, you know, and they going to get pulled over by the cops. It's a sport. Shit. <laughs> That's what I would do. I'd be on the corner selling my work. Somebody come by like, yo, this my block. Oh, word? Archers! <laughs> cops come by, what happened? I don't know. I don't. Nigga called an arrow. I don't know. I was just standing right here, officer. Cops leave. Yo, good looking, Trey. I appreciate you, my nigga. Yo, you know I got you, fam. You know I got you. That's really it, man. I just can't wait to the day she introduces a, her her boyfriend or even girlfriend, you know, to me. And I just want to say, like, oh, th- oh that's, that's nice. Why don't you come in the backyard and hold this apple real quick? <laughs> <laughs> so how long are you going to be taking her out? Oh, I don't stop shaking. <laughs> My dear, you shining your hours? I don't know this motherfucker ghost. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> it's cute, his family. My daughter, she's, uh, her mother, her mother's white. Her mother's Russian, but, like, not Trump Russian. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like salad dressing Russian. Sweet and tangy. <laughs> First, in, you know, interracial baby, man. Father black, mother white, five-year-old interracial baby. There's a lot of pressure on me, you know, because her, her hair is my responsibility. <laughs> like, no offense to her mom. She not, that's not her culture. She ain't going to do it. I just, I just can't have my daughter walking around and old black women just like, mm. It's like, oh. <laughs> it hurt my heart. <laughs> This your baby? Uh-huh. Her mama white? Uh-huh. <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> no, I didn't hit. <laughs> Try harder, baby. God damn. 
That's what old black women do. They pick at baby's head like it's like it's old produce. Who did this? <laughs> you you did this? Who who did this? <laughs> I did it. <laughs> so I got better. You know what I mean? Took some tutorials, YouTube tutorials, pink tails, ponytails, curls I can do. So when I dropped my daughter off, she looked like every album cover, Mary J. Blige. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> she fly. Like, uh, 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 uh. No more drama album, you know. It's a good album, y'all should look that up. <laughs> but then when I get her back, she looked like pebbles from the Flintstones. <laughs> and she'll have the bone. I'm like, fuck. All right. It's gonna be all right. We gonna be good. We gonna keep enjoying our books. <laughs> and my, st and stand up. Um, yeah, I'm recording an album here, but like, I won't be doing any books or shit. <laughs> I'll be talking ignorant. <laughs> and some wokeness that I'm a sh I don't like, ugh. Like even, like, like a touch of politics. I, I try not to get too much into it, because it's just so, ugh, <laughs> over it. Like, I don't even want to say his name, you know? It's just like, I, I just, I worry about the connection with the supremacy, that's what I worry about. Cause I just, I'm just like, what do they want? <laughs> like, what do you want? You lost a long time ago. What do you want? Cause they get over it. Black people out here, Jewish people out here, Muslim people out here, gay people out here. What do you want? Cause I'm not going back. I have too many sneakers. I'm not going back. <laughs> You crazy, you know how much shipping would cost? <laughs> Pull on my sneakers on the cargo ship to Africa, then they get lost at sea. Now I'm in Africa with loafers. I'm not doing that. <laughs> Where are my Yeezys here? <laughs> this has been great. I hope you had a good time. Enjoy the rest of your night. Have a good night. Thank you. All right, Nori Davis, everybody. Woo. Uh, yeah, give it up one more time for all of our performers. <laughs> Thank yeah. you guys so much for coming. Yeah. It's been a wonderful book club. Book Club, a comedy show, was recorded live at Union Hall in Brooklyn, New York. Your hosts were Blythe Robertson and Colin Stokes. Live sound and recording by Harry Scott. Produced and edited by Shannon Manning for Good Orbit. Project, nice to be in orbit.